Our first reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 11. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother's sheep. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean region and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's this Sunday is what is sometimes in Baptist churches known as Freedom Sunday, because all the ministers are off away on a jolly at the, at the Baptist Assembly. And that means we can all get on with all sorts of things without the ministers being here to know and to find out. Alaska, we've been recorded this morning, so we can't be uh, too mischievous. But um, it's, uh, it's good to know they're, they're gathering together. The Baptist Assembly is an important meeting each year, and we hope that will be a, a helpful thing. Now... One of the most famous pieces of classical music around is something called Handel's Messiah. You've probably heard of it. Um, I sang it a few weeks ago, which was very lovely. 
It's about two hours long and it's a collection of choruses and solos and they're all set to, to music from the, to words from the Bible. Uh, probably the most famous part of it is the Hallelujah Chorus, uh, where everyone stands and, uh, traditionally as it's sung. So, of course, the theme of the Messiah is the Messiah. It's, it's all about Jesus Christ. It's about his birth, his life, his death, and the resurrection. And then it ends with one great chorus uh, from the book of Revelation, where Jesus is enthroned in glory. So you might think, wow, where, where does that work start? Where's, where's a good place to get going on that? Does it start with the, the birth of Jesus Christ? Do we go to the, the Gospels and have the, the, the birth story? Well, some of the, the, the choruses in it are actually from the Old Testament. They're the prophecies. Uh, for unto us the child is born, which Simon preached on last week is one of them. Um, so... Is it, is it like the, the, the nine lessons and carols? But that goes right back to Genesis and to the fall of man for its first reading. Or perhaps it goes to, to John chapter 1 as that reading, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God, which we, we hear every year at Christmas and, and puzzle at, to be honest. Well, actually, it begins with this passage here. The first words of the Messiah are a, a tenor soloist coming on and he says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and her iniquity is pardoned. It was difficult for me not to sing that. You'll appreciate I didn't. And, and you might think, well, that's a, a slightly odd place to begin this. That's not where I would begin uh, uh, such a work if I was talking about the, the coming and the life of Jesus Christ. But I, I actually think it's a really good place to start. In fact, so does the Gospel of Mark, because you couldn't have failed to notice that Judith read out for us the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, as it is written in the prophet Messiah, and then it goes on to quote this passage. In this passage, we actually see encapsulated for us the fact that the gospel is good news. And the gospel is good news. We can sometimes forget that. It doesn't always feel like good news, but it is good news. The actual word gospel means good news. I, I did the usual thing of looking it up in a dictionary, and of course it says, oh, the word Gospel is the old English word for, for the Greek word good news, which is euangelion. It's where we get evangelical and evangelist from. And, and so we, we have to stretch sometimes to think this really is good news, but it is. And in fact, let me tell you now that if the gospel that is told to you is not good news, it is not the gospel. If the gospel that is preached is not good news, it isn't the gospel. The gospel is good news because it points to Jesus Christ. It points to his life and work. It points to his death also. And it points to the, the wonderful things he did, he showed us, he told us. And the, the benefits of believing in him. This is why it's good news. 
Now this prophecy came to, to Israel at a very difficult time. Uh, Israel is a, 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 a nation of two kingdoms joined together and they're surrounded by large powers and, and there's a power struggle. Nothing's new it seems, we have power struggles now. So there's power struggles going on, there's one minute Egypt's in charge, the next minute it's Assyria, the next minute it's Babylon. And, and Israel really is a, like a small buffer state between some of these. And, and it's threatened and, and, and it's wondering if it's going to be invaded and of course it is. We're told the prophets tell us it would be and it was. The, the, the days of glory for Israel seem to be long gone. When we think of King David and his triumph and then Solomon in all his splendor. Well, this is about 300 years after that. Those glory days have finished. In fact, the, the, the people that God said, you are my chosen people, you are my special people, they, they have largely stopped following God. They've started following other gods. Their kings have been following other gods. And in fact, some of the kings have even sacrificed their children to these gods. So the, 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 the people are not interested in God. They're not interested in being his people. And God sends prophets to them. And the prophets, they come and they speak God's word. We often think prophets are just about foretelling. They're like the mystic meg of ancient Israel. They come to say what's going to happen. But really what the prophets do is they come to tell Israel how it is and what God thinks of how it is. And yet Isaiah here is told by God to speak tenderly to Jerusalem. He isn't told to come and bellow at them, to shout and to rage. He isn't told at this point, he does it elsewhere, to, to harangue them for their unfaithfulness. Some of the prophets do quite a lot of that. But at this time, what Israel needs, what Jerusalem needs, is to be spoken tenderly. Because this is good news. It's being told gently to people that need good news. We all need good news, don't we? Um, I read this week that there's the, the reports that people are less interested in the news now than they were, compared to, I think, about five years ago, the last time the survey was done. People are turning off the news. People are, are not using the traditional... Uh, formats for getting the news, so they're not perhaps watching the TV or listening to the radio or reading newspapers. They're, they're going on to TikTok and seeing what, they're lay, what, they're, what an influencer has to say about the news. Uh, they're following opinion on Twitter and the like. And, and I can understand some of this. The, the news can be a bit depressing, can't it? I remember particularly during the, the pandemic, I've always been very into the news. I like to listen to the news every day. And, and hear what's going on. So when we had a pandemic and we had a press conference every day, and then we had all the, the commentators telling us what they thought of a press conference, I was kind of in my element for a while. But, but I did get a bit fatigued. And to be honest, when the news isn't always very good, or in fact it, it's downright bad, it, it's really hard work listening to the news. You know, if we, if we think of what's going on in the world now, well, we, we've got the war in Ukraine going on. And I confess I don't often read the pages about it. On, on the, I, I tend to look at a website for my news. I think, oh dear, the war's going on. It seems to be going well. It seems to be going badly. 
Oh, it's all a bit much. And then, and then there's lots of pages about the cost of living crisis and, and how everything is, is going wrong, the economy is going wrong, we're all going to be poorer, the poorer are getting poorer, the richer are getting richer. And that's all grim news. And that's even before we get into politics and, and the various goings-on there. Well, we needn't say anything about that, I don't think. We can, we can get tired of bad news. We can get, you know, we, we, we'd like to hear some good news. I mean, it would actually be, wouldn't it be great if, if, if we turned on the news and, and, and they said the war is over and, and there's a peaceful and fair conclusion that everyone's happy with? That would be a piece of good news. If the Chancellor got up and said, I can report that the economy is booming, and because of that, I'm going to cut everyone's taxes, and I'm going to increase everyone's benefits, and I'm going to put money here and money there, and we're all going to be really happy. I mean, none of these things are likely to happen. But it would be good if we had good news. Well, Isaiah is bringing good news. And he's bringing it gently and tenderly to the people. Later on in, in the reading we had, he says, He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arm. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. Now, now sheep need gentle people. I used to go to Cornwall and help out on a, a sheep farm with lambing every year. It was a wonderful thing to do. I'd go down in sort of February, March, and I'd help with the, the, the sheep that were, you know, I'd help deliver the lambs, feed the sheep, and do all the things connected at a very busy time. It meant a few sleepless nights sometimes because the sheep don't like always to have their their lambs at a convenient time for you. They, they normally like to wait for three o'clock in the morning, or if they know you're having a particularly nice dinner, they think, oh, well, let's, let's get on with having a lamb now and cause a bit of trouble. But they are rather timid creatures, and you have to be quite gentle with sheep. So when I go down there, they're normally in a barn. They're not running around on a field. The, the expectant mothers are all in a big barn, and you need to sort of go in and feed them and straw them and, and do all this. Um, sometimes you need to go in and get one who's in labour and in, in a bit of trouble and you can take her to a smaller barn where you can look after her individually, you know, sometimes ropes, and we, you don't want to know about that. Anyway, you have to be really gentle with the sheep. Now one year a friend came with me and he's quite nimble and quick and fit and he said, oh, it'll be great, I can help, I can carry, carry hay, ba hay bales everywhere, straw bales everywhere, I can do this, do that and do all the other It'll be wonderful. And I thought, well, that's great. So in we go to the barn, and, and we, we, we went out to feed the sheep, feed the sheep one, one evening, the first day we got there. And so we all got kitted up and, and put our boots on and everything and old clothes. And then we went out. And, and there's this railing, which is about this high, and, and you just have to climb it and hoist yourself over it, uh, rather than bothering to open the gate and risk all the, the sheep running. And so he, he's very nimble. He sort of stepped up a little bit and then leapt over the, the railing and jumped into the barn. And all the sheep were all very disturbed. What's all this going on here? This is a quiet afternoon. We were waiting for our tea. We didn't expect someone to be coming in and doing things like this. And they all sort of went to the corner of the barn and glared at him. It was much better when I sort of slowly clambered over. I do most things slowly. 
And it, it was much better when I sort of clambered over and went in and said, come on, calm down, everyone. Here's some hay. Here's some, here's some feed. And they remembered, oh, yes, this guy's okay. He doesn't run around. He's not going to frighten us. No, you need to be gentle with sheep. And, and this is what we have. We often talk of Jesus as being a shepherd. And that is what we need. We need a shepherd. It's not a sheepdog that we need. You can get a sheepdog out in a field. This particular farm doesn't have sheepdogs, but I've seen them. Well, a sheepdog goes out and they herd all the sheep up and they run around and, and the sheep are terrified. And, and one of them says, well, we need to get away from him. And everyone follows them because sheep like to be together as well. They really don't like being separated out. No, 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 no. We need a shepherd, not a sheepdog. So if someone comes and preaches and says, I'm bringing you the good news of Jesus Christ, and he shouts at you and he bellows at you and he cajoles you, I I think that person's more of a a sheepdog than a shepherd. And the news they bring really isn't good news. I think there are some preachers who who delight in, in getting up and telling everyone how wicked and sinful they are how desperately in need of salvation they are, telling them all about the fearful destruction to come. They love to reduce the the, the listener to fear and trembling so that they, they come in misery to the foot of the cross. And then when they come, you keep them in the church by giving them a list of rules and regulations and, and making sure they stay there. While it's not all over just because you agreed to this and just because you said, oh yes, I accept this message. No, 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 you, you have to carefully maintain and follow all these rules. I was reading a blog post just the other week, and the writer said that if you don't attend church, it was a, a blog post about um, online church versus in-person attendance at church, and how, uh, and the general message, which I would generally agree with, was it's, it's good to go if you can, because online is, is, is an imitation, really, of, of being at church. It's great that we have online, it's great that we can tune in and and be together, but to be honest, it's it's not quite a substitution for being together in person and being able to go and talk to one another. You you don't quite get the same fellowship. Now, I, I, I would go no further than that. I would not go as far as this person, but they said, if you're attending church online and not in person, then that is a gospel issue. Now, when someone says something is a gospel issue, what they mean is that if you follow this and if you believe this, you, you are not in receipt of the gospel. You are outside the gospel. And I thought, well, that's curious. I don't see that written in the gospels. This isn't very good news. So I did something you should never, ever do. Can I just recommend you never do this? I looked up on Twitter and I looked up this is a gospel issue to see what things people think are gospel issues. So here are some things that are gospel issues according to the Twitter sphere. Letting women preach in the church is a gospel issue. Marrying a non-Christian is a gospel issue. Marrying someone of the same sex is a gospel issue. Here's a good one. Having a music group in your church is a gospel issue. Not having a music group in your church is a gospel issue. 
Believing in critical race theory and supporting the all lives matter. Uh, Black lives matter, forgive me, I got that wrong. Not being baptised. Not reading your Bible every day. Not praying every day. From our friends over the pond, voting Democrat is a gospel issue. But in fact, someone else says voting at all is a gospel issue. Well, this is not good news, is it? I think we're all in trouble. Because when you start putting all these burdens and rules and requirements there, the good news stops being good news. When you add a requirement, even if you might think it's a good requirement, you immediately add to what Jesus Christ says, what Jesus Christ came to do. And then, of course, you're just following the Pharisees. So you might be sitting here thinking, well, that's okay. We're not like that. Those people are obviously crazy. We're not like that in this church. We don't add to the gospel and put yokes around people's necks. Well, good. I'm glad we don't. But I wonder if we do actually create some yokes for people. Do we have expectations of what people must do and say and believe? How do we reject those who disagree with us? Maybe we think some people are just beyond the pale or outside of the gospel because of their views. It's a really careful line. Of course, there are things we must disagree with and we, we do reject. And we come, to, we come to form our beliefs and opinions and hopefully in an informed way. But while it's really easy to find in other church groups uh, the Pharisee that is there, it can be quite hard to find the Pharisee in our own groups and even harder to find the Pharisee in our own hearts. One of my quotes that I often quote when we're talking about the law and freedom and and how some people say we must emphasise the law and we must obey the law of God and others say we're free in Christ and of the balance. And I've said in my experience, 50% of people are legalists and they want to follow every rule and follow the Pharisees and and be tied up by rules of regulations. 50% of people are libertarians and they don't care anything for the law of God and do what they want. And I'm in the middle. And I think we all feel a bit like that really, don't we? What happens when you're talking with someone, even perhaps another Baptist, and and, and you find they disagree with you on something, perhaps a really important issue. I don't want to downplay the importance of issues. How do you feel? Do you think to yourself, well, he doesn't really get it, does he? I mean, he generally thinks and says the right things, but on this, well... He's a little bit backward, to be fair. Maybe he's even a bigot. Perhaps he hasn't come to a greater understanding that I have of these things. He just needs to open up his mind and listen to me. We need to be very careful that we don't become like that ourselves. And when we start requiring things of other people, 
that are not required of them by God. Now, the fact that the the gospel is good news doesn't mean it's always easy news. In in the passage, we we hear that that John the Baptist being foretold. And, and, And Mark and, in fact, the other gospels all talk of the ministry of John the Baptist. You know, that voice that calls in the wilderness. Well, the ministry of John the Baptist was a ministry of repentance from sin. At one point he says, Behold, the axe is laid at the root, and if the, if the tree does not bear good fruit, the tree will be cut and its branches will be thrown into the fire. That's not a particularly easy message. In this passage, it goes on to talk about valleys being lifted up, hills being uh, put down, a world-changing, world-shaking effect of the gospel. All flesh is as grass and withers away. Well, it's easy to think of withering away on a hot day like this, but but really we don't like thinking about withering away and about being like grass. We think we're fairly permanent and fairly good and fairly strong. But remember, Isaiah here is still bringing good news and speaking tenderly to the people. Yes, Israel has gone astray, it's got into trouble But in that trouble, God comes to them to bring help. The coming of Jesus Christ is the loving intervention of God to a world in need of God's love. The gracious message of the good news is to turn to God in our strife and in our sorrow and in the mess of our lives. It's the message that the paths through the valleys of sorrow and darkness will be lifted up. It's a message that the hill of strife and oppression before us will be levelled. It's the message that the word of God endures forever and that in this world of things that change and decay and wither and fail, there is something that does not change. The good news for God's people is this. Behold your God. I'm sticking with the Handel translation for this rather than the here is your God. But that is the good news. The good news is here is your God. Here is Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel is found in him, in his ministry, in his death and in his resurrection. So then do you need good news? Could you do with someone speaking tenderly to you? Could you do with comfort? Well, I've even better news today because Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We can often be weary, can't we? Sometimes just getting through life is hard. We can have work, we can have stress, we can have emotional stress. We can carry burdens of grief, burdens of care for others, burdens of worry, burdens of anxiety and uncertainty. All these things can bring us down and make it tough going sometimes. 
That's even without perhaps the great difficulties and storms of life that can sometimes come in and, and trip us up. And sometimes thinking about God and thinking about Jesus Christ can just make us feel inadequate, perplexed, guilty or even angry. And that can add to those burdens. But I say to you, Jesus is not like that. He is not here to add to your burdens. When we look at his life, we see a man who came, he had time for people. He was gentle and kind. He was surrounded by, by disciples who, as the same would go, would t- test the patience of a saint. And they did test his patience. And yet, he spoke gently. He explained things. He showed us what man can be. Yes, he did speak harshly when he needed to, particularly to those who used religion to trap people, religion to keep people bound by their man-made rules, to keep them crushed by the status quo, and to exclude people from the church and to divide the church. Yet Jesus is the one who has a gentle and humble heart and brings rest to us. Find your rest in him and learn from him, as he says, And maybe, just maybe, we ourselves, following his example, can then be good news for other people. Uh, Matthew tells us that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. So let us pray together. Lord, we thank you for reminding us that you and your kingdom are good news. Good news for all people, for all time. Holding that in our hearts, we lift before you the world, conscious of the enormity of the needs of so many people, conscious too that your concern for them is so much greater than ours. For those caught up in war, for those making desperate and fearful journeys, for those who are being exploited, for those who are feeling lost, trapped, hopeless and despairing, Lord have mercy. For all those affected by the sinking of overcrowded ships, for those whose lives have been shattered or forever changed or taken, we pray that something of your kingdom would be graced to them, that some vestige of good news break into their lives and revive their spirits with words and deeds that bring hope, understanding, encouragement, good news. Let your kingdom come and may the church May we be an embodied expression of your kingdom. May the heart and mind of Christ be graced to governments and those in authority. May new expressions of compassion and concern hijack the world's politics and power systems.
May truth be embraced along with his ability to set people and nations free. May the good news of the kingdom of God redeem and restore and transform our relationship with the peoples of the world. Lord, let your kingdom come, and may the church, may we, be an embodied expression of your kingdom. We hold before you the people of our country, especially remembering those who are struggling with the cost of living, those who are despairing, those who are grieving, those who are perplexed, those who just haven't a clue what's going on, and those who are feeling lost. May the good news of Jesus and the kingdom of God break into lives in new ways and bring the love, understanding, reassurance and help that is longed for. Lord, let your kingdom come and may the church, may we be an embodied expression of your kingdom. We remember all those who are attending the Baptist Assembly this weekend. May the good news of Jesus and the Kingdom of God break into their lives in new ways, with fresh insights, fresh revelations of your love, and fresh touches from yourself, especially for those who may be feeling jaded, weary, or even cynical. May our church leaders be refreshed and bring refreshing to their congregations when they return home. Lord, let your kingdom come and may the church, may we, be an embodied expression of your kingdom. We remember the LGBTQ plus community this Pride Month. May those who feel rejected, excluded, marginalized from church life, be sought out by your spirit and embraced and loved. May those who have excluded, shunned and cold-shouldered those who are other be graced with your kindness, which leads all of us to repentance, to new ways of thinking. Lord, let your kingdom come. And may the church, may we, be an embodied expression of your kingdom. Finally, Lord, we pray for ourselves. You know where each one of us is emotionally and spiritually. You know what concerns us or what would draw us away from you. May we hear again that you are good news for us too. May you refresh our spirits with fresh insights and revelations about yourself and your great love for each and every one of us. Lord, let your kingdom come, and may we, even us here this morning, be an embodied expression of your kingdom, living out your love, truth, and grace to each other and to the world. Amen. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord smile upon us and be gracious unto us. 
May the Lord show his favor to us and give us peace. Amen.